This is Hear Me Out. I'm Celeste Headley. Welcome to a presidential election year. <laughs> that statement makes your blood run cold. You are not alone. We know it's hard to have political discussions. They often get heated. And in 2024, it's going to be hard to avoid those conversations. But we are dedicated to showing you that it is possible to get heated without getting disrespectful or giving up on the conversation entirely and walking away in disgust. So today we present a defense of the Trump voter. It's so easy for Democrats and liberals more broadly to assume the other side is all fascists or idiots or they're misled. And whichever of those three is the case for you or someone you know, it's often assumed that Trump voters are irredeemable, that they're not worth talking to. Our guest today wants you to think again. There are no surprises here. It's not the case that the right is simply stupid or essentially a fascist. Like We, we know all the negative stuff, and yet we think the left is worse. Frank Buckley, author and foundation professor at George Mason University, joins us in just a moment. Stay with us. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I've never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Before we get started, we want to say a special hello to those of you who are listening on Slate Plus. We really appreciate your support. If you want to join the club and support the work we do at Hear Me Out, that's great news. Slate Plus is easy to join and there are a ton of perks. You get to listen to Hear Me Out and all your favorite Slate shows totally ad-free. And you'll be able to read all of Slate's site without a paywall. Plus, again you are helping support the show. If you're able, we'd love to have you join us for as little as $5 a month. If you want to know more, head over to slate.com slash hearmeoutplus. And thanks. Welcome back to Hear Me Out. I'm Celeste Headley. After the 2016 election, there was a flurry of news stories about Trump voters, describing their lives, their thoughts, their concerns. And sure, some Americans were surprised by the number of people who voted for Donald, but but the profiles of his voters began to go beyond news and become a form of journalistic othering. Research shows Americans are not just politically polarized. We have a hard time viewing the people we disagree with on lots of things as human. And most of us have no desire to converse with the so-called other side. This show, by the way, hopes to fix that. But if you're heading into the new year, a presidential election year, feeling suspicious, angry, or confused by those who yearn for a second Trump presidency, our guest today encourages you to think differently, to think about Trump supporters not as misled or delusional, but as people who honestly believe he is the better option. 
So we are joined once again by Frank Buckley. He's a foundation professor at George Mason University's Scalia Law School. And many months ago, he joined us to talk about an American secession. Frank, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So for those who didn't hear that prior discussion, tell us what you do. I am a professor at Scalia Law School of George Mason University. I teach a course on the framers. I'm originally from Canada. I worked on the Trump campaign in 2016. Uh, I don't think it's correct to describe me as a Trump supporter right now. I just I think the whole thing is crazy. Um, but I, I think like you, I'm saddened by the divisiveness in the society and the way in which, as you've noted, we don't talk to each other, right? We're sequestered in our separate animosities and uh, that's simply sick. So we've got an election coming up and I think for a lot of people, this is really quite simple because the people on the other side are essentially fascists. So when you call regardless, them that- you mean Regardless that of, of what side you're on? Yeah, that, that kind of takes care of conversation thereafter. Uh, either they're fascist or they're really, really, really stupid. There was a cartoon in the Washington Post the other day by Ann Telnus, uh, which portrayed the Trump voter as a lady whose brains are being scrambled by an egg beater by, welded by, by Donald Trump. So, you know, either these are pathetically stupid people or they're fascists, but in either case, we don't have to make, pay much attention to them, right? And, and what has happened, I think, is that people have been looking for one of the most you know, delicious of pleasures that are out there, which is a sense of justified hatred. And they've been offered it by the media, by many, many outlets in the media, and and it's an addiction. It's it's you. It triggers the dopamine reward receptors in your brain, and you keep coming back for a fix. And that's that's you know that's a sickness, roughly. So that's you know that's one version of what's going on. The other version of what's going on is, you know, the other side, the Trump people, the Trump supporters, get it. They aren't stupid. They aren't fascist. They just think the other side is worse. Okay, and you know and. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's really that sick, and um, and maybe the people you know on the other side, not accustomed to hearing any criticism of themselves, you know, utterly self righteous, uh, preening in their own virtue, should recognize that there are some complaints that might be laid at their doorstep as well. So for the you know so for the Trump supporters, recognizing that Trump is. Um, Kind of mad, bad, and dangerous to know, and all of that. Uh, the, the you know the the fellow with all the crazy tweets and and some of the crazy ideas and the crazy statements. Um, bad as he is, you know, is is in some respects preferable to what we've got. I mean, if you think that Trump, for example, you know, imagine a Trump presidency where where Trump uh, unleashes the Department of Justice on his opponents. Which he said he will do. Uh, you know, and and changes, purports to change the norms of our society in all sorts of ways. And what you've got is, is basically what the left is doing now. Well, I, I'm going to stop you here because um, I want to make sure we have clearly articulated what your opinion is. It sounds like you're saying um, that Democrats uh, specifically and, and liberals more broadly 
unfairly demonize Trump supporters. Is that the is that a good boiling down of your opinion? Yeah, they, they do. And they're encouraged to do so. I mean, if you look at the advice columns in the places like the Washington Post, you're told on how it is that you should not talk to your parents or your uncle or your cousins if they disagree with you. I mean, this kind of breaks up families. It produces a great deal of loneliness. We are, you know, we're in the middle of a loneliness epidemic in America. Uh, and part of it has to do with the divisiveness of, of, uh, of all of these partisan hatreds that are out there. So I, I think that's rather sick. And I think, look, this is an aristocracy. Let's start with the idea that this is really an aristocracy. I've lived in other countries. They're much more egalitarian. So if you're a member of the elite, you know, you're one of life's winners, right? You're you're white, Western, and wealthy. Okay. I mean, that describes most of the people we on can the agree other on side. That. It describes a certain slice of people on both sides. Well, actually, I'm no, I'm, I'm, I really want to say that if we are an aristocracy and you want to describe America's elite, what you're talking about are the kind of people I just described, you know, who get the New York Times and the Washington Post and so on. That's the aristocracy, right? And, you know, and one of the problems here is for people on the left, what they're saying is, look, it's not merely the case that uh, this is an aristocracy where uh, your children are going to get ahead and mine won't get ahead so much. Uh, this is not true of other countries. It's true of aristocracies like America. So, you know, it's bad enough that you're on top of things. Um, but on top of that, you know, you're kind of smug about how you got there. And you've ignored the fact that um, our jobs have disappeared. They've gone to other countries. And we're suffering the deaths of despair, right? I mean, uh, longevity rates have declined uh, for white Americans in particular, but, you know, men in general. And uh, yeah, life expectancy uh, you know, has and, gone and, down. And we don't pay attention. Yeah. That's not a story. All right. Climate change is a big story. The deaths of despair is not a story. It doesn't count. It won't be reported. Okay. So we have found another point of agreement here that, um, you're right. And for listeners, I'll say that uh, life expectancy in the United States has fallen, especially for white men, for years now. And one of the lead authors of the study a couple years ago, when he was asked what was causing that decline, said simply despair. And I agree with you. We're not covering that in an age of an epidemic of loneliness. I do want to quickly say that um, the Republican Party uh, is is... Uh, more white than the Democrats, although Democrats have lots of white people, more than eight in 10 Republican voters as of 2022 were white. Um, they have generally been suburban voters and, and middle class. And in fact, the number of, of white voters without college degrees shrunk among conservatives in the past few elections, going back all the way to 2016, um, although many of them are older. So the demographics, I, I would I would argue with you there that the that our our surveys don't quite show that the the elite so called are on the democrat side. I would also say that going back to the original point, 
I think it's perfectly possible <laughs> as a as a right wing person to completely surround yourself with only news from conservative sources. You could be watching Fox News. There's the Washington Examiner. There's the Epic Times. There's Newsmax. There's the Blaze. There's the Daily Wire. There's the Washington Times. There's Daily Caller. Um, you can entirely only get your news from conservative sources, and we know that many of them do. Um, so I, I again, uh, I think our point of of debate here is mostly that this is somehow worse or better on one side or the other. Um, I think both sides are are capable easily of isolating themselves and only speaking to the people who ag- agree. And it, it that should be a point of common ground where we can say, look, conservatives call liberals uh, fascists and child traffickers without evidence. Uh, liberals call uh, conservatives brainwashed. And um, perhaps we need to humanize each other and learn how to talk to one another. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think a good start would be by way of taking a look at what people, legitimate complaints people may make uh, from the other perspective. So I've mentioned some of them, for example. Um, I've said we're a class society. We've grown an aristocracy. When you compare us to other countries, the likelihood that your children will do well is really the test of aristocracy. And we're kind of up there with places with with countries like like England. I mean, the really um, egalitarian countries are countries like Denmark and Canada, and and we're not we're not even close to that. So, if you wanted a more egalitarian society, there are a lot of things you could do which would be pleasing to the right, and some that would be pleasing to the left. For example, um, lower intuition for university would be good for mobility, but there are other issues like immigration, uh, K twelve schools, the regulatory state, where um, you know where the right has complaints about how we become an aristocracy, and you might listen to them. So we have to take a break here, but I, th- I think go- moving into what um, people's concerns are is a really, really fertile ground for discussion here. I- I'm, I'm guessing we're going to find more agreement there, uh, but we'll take this break first. You're listening to Hear Me Out. I'm Celeste Headley, and we will be back in just a moment. Welcome back. I'm Celeste Headley, and this is Hear Me Out, a podcast from Slate. Today, we're talking to Frank Buckley, who I think uh, it's fair to say is a, an old school conservative. Is that fair, Frank? Yeah, I call myself a progressive conservative. I'm, I'm kind of an Eisenhower Republican. You know, back in the day, back in the 60s, uh, that was a totally different Republican Party. And there are elements of that today. I mean, the Trump movement, amongst other things, was rejection of a right-wing Republican Party. And I feel more at home with an older Republican Party represented by people like Lincoln and Teddy Roosevelt and Eisenhower. And there were echoes of that in Trump. So I was a Republican as well, as was my whole family. Um, the first president I voted for was George H.W. Um, and I agree with you that uh, the Republican Party... Uh, of my first election is not the Republican Party we see today. For me, it's mostly the intrusion into personal lives. But I want to go back to this misunder where we started, which was that um, your belief that people fundamentally misunderstand Trump voters or or misunderstand why anybody 
would vote for Trump again. So can we talk about that? Let me let me just say that part of the um, difficulty for me in understanding someone who still supports Trump is as a journalist, I, you know, I don't tend to trust any politician, period. I don't care what party they're with. I have seen the sausage being made for a quarter of a century, and it's not pretty. But I, I have never seen a tr- politician like Donald Trump in any political party. I mean, I've never seen anybody who lies like that. I've never seen anybody with this many indictments that even Bill Barr, Trump's attorney general, agrees are many of them are sound charges. Um, and so for me, am I being unfair? Like we're talking about people who would vote for somebody who lies continually and all the about everything and is has been quite credibly indicted many dozens of times well i don't know about credibly indicted uh what's one thing that's interesting here is how the more that the criminal charges pile up the more popular trump gets which is essentially a the right flipping the bird at the left on all of this what the right is saying in all of this is this is basically the state uh, in the hands of the Democratic administration, going after a political enemy. Uh, I, you know, I'm not crazy about Trump at this point. Um, I don't know that he'd be a successful president. But if you want me to go through the list, litany of uh, reasons why I object to Joe Biden, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy to do so. Let's let's just say Which- there are. That's kind of a different conversation, right? Our conversation today is focused on whether no, or it, not. Yeah. I don't know. That's the point. It really isn't. I mean, if what you're looking at is, you know, who will take care of me better in the next four years? Uh, the Biden record is not a particularly attractive one for, for a lot of voters. OK, and um, so it's it's not, it's it's more complicated than just saying, well, the man's a rogue. Right. And and yes, if he's a rogue, you know, try to explain why people support him when it's the case that we know all of that. Right. I mean, there are no surprises here. It's not the case that that the right is simply stupid the way that The Washington Post portrays him or essentially a fascist, which is how a lot of people in The New York Times regard. OK, like we, we know all the negative stuff and yet we think the left is worse. So, okay, I, I, here's why I think that, that talking about Joe Biden is a different conversation. A, we're still in the primaries, which means if you're a Trump supporter, it means you're not you've, you're choosing Trump over all of the other candidates, including Nikki Haley and others who do not bring the baggage and haven't lied to you as many times as Donald Trump has. Uh, we the who does not have multiple very serious counts um, against them, both national, federal counts and state counts. And, we, you know, we just found out that his his businesses took in millions and millions of dollars from foreign entities, 20 different countries while he was still president. Yeah, that's this is not a big deal. You know, he, he's about the only president who left office uh, worth considerably less than he uh, had when he walked into office. I mean, well, but he also is, went into everybody, office. Everybody else a lot is. More. is Everybody else has made tons of money, uh, Obama in particular, but, uh, you know, but just about every president has, in fact. Anyway, look, you know, if you want to talk about lies, you know, don't get me started on the Russian collusion hoax. Don't get me started on things like the mostly peaceful George Floyd 
riots or, you know, or how defunding the police is going to be the answer to all of our problems. I mean, people on the right have, have they understand the lies. Somehow they don't take them seriously, right? They realize it's a guy who's posturing, and what they're trying to look at is, as between two people, who's going to treat me better? Who's going to govern better in the next four years? So this is another point of contention, because you, the, some of the things that you said, I, I won't take time to fact check, but... Um, fact check? You want to fact check def- uh, uh, defund the, the uh, Russian collusion? I mean, you know, I was yeah. there. I was there. I wrote this. I wrote the foreign policy speech that Trump delivered. Yeah, I was there too. I, as a journalist covering it with no stake in the game, um, yeah. but but um, I, I, let's talk about the fact that they think they're going to be treated better under a Trump administration because I don't see that for the average Trump voter. Um, they really got a whole lot out of the first Trump administration. There's, they definitely lost when it comes to economics, the average Trump voter, definitely. I disagree. No, they did better. So I, I totally disagree. And you know who did really quite well is American blacks. No. Um, so, oh. no, not in comparison with, you cannot say that, that, that African Americans um, disproportionately did, did better. They're still at the bottom of pretty much every... No, it's, uh, it's scale. It, 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 but the wage gap between African Americans and white Americans declined. Now it's expanded. Oh, actually, that we had the very first recently. We saw the very first increase, average increase, significant increase in the lowest way in the wages for the lowest earners. Mm. Um, uh, recently, this is just I think earlier this year. Um, but again. There's one thing first. There's the, there was this myth that most Trump voters were working class, and it turns out they were not. The, the over fifty percent were not. But the and other thing is, is that the the working class support of Trump, a his voters are better off economically when compared with the average American period, and that then that makes you have to sort of parse out how they did under his tax cuts, because there's no argument among economists that his tax cuts benefited those at the very highest end of the scale, not the middle class and working class. Even if they were his supporters, working class did make up the majority of his supporters. They didn't benefit from his tax cuts. Actually, the economy under Trump did fairly well. Um, What people are looking at right now is uh, inflation, which they attribute to uh, an out-of-control spending machine in the White House. So um, that probably is going to be a big part of the election right now. But you know something? We're not going to get anywhere just comparing uh, two people, both of whom are, are flawed. Uh, personally, Trump more than Biden, I'll grant you that. But you know, Biden himself does not exactly inspire confidence. So if you want to find a middle ground as between both sides, you won't get there by saying roughly... You know, how dare you support Trump? It's not, I don't think, okay, so certainly on my point, I never say how dare you support that person. I've seen all kinds of uh, confusing (laughs) behavior in my my career as a journalist. (laughs) It's not that so much as it is, again, as somebody for whom accuracy, fairness, evidence-based policies, I, I am confused um, by someone who would still believe 
a Trump administration would benefit them. This is somebody who said he was going to reduce the national debt and it's expanded massively because of the tax cuts. And so that makes me, he had the third biggest deficit increase of any president in U.S. history. So that makes me go back to the Trump voter and say, look, if if fiscal conservatism is a big part of your beliefs, then why why do you still want to vote for Donald Trump? That's where we get back. Because I want to pull it back again to misunderstanding or maybe mischaracterizing the, the, well, the I, motivation yeah. for voting for him. Yeah. Well, if the voters are asked uh, to compare how they did under Trump and how they didn't over the last three years, um, I prefer to just listen to them. I mean, I'm not going to tell them, you fools, you think you did well under Trump, but you really didn't, and I better than you do on this one. I, 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 that's not going to get us anywhere. Why don't, we, why don't we listen to them rather than tell them what they have to think? So... Um, I, you know, I mentioned inflation as being a big issue. There are a lot of other ones there. There also are cultural differences that are important. I mean, the right is, I think, looking at changes which they're required to accept at this point, which they find troubling. I mean, um, you started with trigger warnings, cultural appropriation, unconscious racism, transgender rights, uh, drag queen story hours. There's a whole cultural change which they feel uncomfortable with and that's okay they're permitted to feel uncomfortable with that about that right i think yeah. I, I think a lot of people would say no that's not okay and that's where the debate is i mean you know is one permitted for example to object to drag queen story hours right well in fact if you read you know some of the newspapers the washington post and so on the answer is basically not right there's something really wrong with you so I think it might you might start by saying there are as between the two kinds of voters, there are important differences in terms of values, and um, if you want people to get along with each other, I think one has to begin by recognizing the validity of those feelings. Um, it's not enough to say, well, if you have problems with euthanasia rights for minors, there's something deeply morally wrong with you. I mean. You see, what, the way it is, if one's on the right right now, it's not merely that you're asked to accept beliefs that you don't agree with, but you're also told there's something deeply morally wrong with you if you disagree. Again, how is that different from the way the right characterizes the left? Because if for those who do believe that because someone is transgender, they still have the right to live their life unharassed, um, I have seen and heard the way those people are spoken about among the right wing. I have even been called horrible things. Again, not a member of the Democratic Party. I've been called terrible things. I've been accused of supporting child trafficking. I've been accused of supporting rape. I've been accused of supporting the murder of conservatives um, and, and violence, even though, again, we don't have a, a January 6th moment on the, the left, the way that we can point to violence on the right. So how is that different? I agree that one should not be demonized for one's beliefs, but the right is doing that too. Well, actually, um, I don't think you should try to get much mileage over personal stories about things said to you. I mean, honestly, I don't think so. I think with respect to gays and whatnot, transgenders, what the right, I think, most people on the right would feel is, look, they can live their lives, um, but 
don't force me to change my beliefs about what's right and wrong in these issues. But, uh, you, I, you know, we, I guess. Yeah, I guess. But again, we're talking about, I mean, you know, for example, we know now that 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 only 11 people in the entire United States were responsible for over 60 percent of all requests to ban specific books. We're not even talking about a minority. We're talking about a tiny, tiny number of people who are very loudly. We also know research shows us that the vast majority of Trump voters are much more liberal in their beliefs, especially on social issues than Trump is or at least as he has yeah. spoken to be so i mean actually trump is fairly trump is a new yorker you know uh I, he used to be used <laughs> we to have be, to yeah. take a, he, we're going to take a break here he's now a floridian um but in any case we'll take another break and we'll come back uh to try to understand uh why uh we're the, the society in general is maybe unfairly demonizing Trump voters. So stay with us. This is Hear Me Out, and we'll be back. And we're back. I'm Celeste Headley. This is Hear Me Out, a podcast from Slate. And we have a few minutes left uh, to talk with Frank Buckley about Trump voters and and why we should hear them out. Um, And here, Frank, as my you might expect, I'm all for hearing people out. I mean, I think you said before we took a break that we should let Trump voters tell us why they still support him. However, again, as a journalist, I got to say that oftentimes when I do interview um, someone who still uh, votes for Trump, many of their facts are are not correct, they, which leads me to believe that they have been misled. Right, that gets back to the Aunt Helena's cartoon of Trump with an egg beater messing up the brains of stupid Trump voters. They really are peons, aren't they? And we're an aristocracy and we can look down at them. No, I, I'm just talking about they're, they're wrong about things. Yeah. They get things inaccurate. No, uh, For no, example, we have, we have truth on our side and virtue, and they are basically fascists. Look, that's, nothing kills a discussion more quickly than somebody who says, there are my facts and, you know, this is it. And you're just stupid. No, I'm saying that there are things that are facts and provable. For example, in one of his recent interviews, Donald Trump said that his support among black voters increased by four or five times. That is provably, measurably incorrect. It's not up for discussion. It's not up for interpretation. That's not spin. That's just wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I, yeah, he tells a lot of uh, a lot of uh, mistruths, you know, a lot of lies. So. But, you know, if you, we, if you want to get back to how do you get both sides talking to each other? I think the way to do it is to start talking about policies. So, you know, are there economic or political policies that the right has that uh, are worth listening to? And, and, you know, frankly, inflation is one of them. So that's going to be a big issue in the in, in 2024 this year. So, okay. So in the, in the few minutes that we have left, uh, maybe you can tell us, uh, without, because I know perfectly well that debating people on facts will not get you anywhere, uh, regardless of what your politics are. So, since we both agree that um, both sides need to talk to one another more, need to humanize one another more, um, maybe you could give us some ideas on how to talk to a Trump supporter. Hmm. Interesting question. Um. 
Well, if you wanted to persuade him that inflation was not simply a Democratic Party issue, you might say, what about spending under Trump? Because that went up as well, as you noted. So nobody's got exactly clean hands here. Um, moreover, I really think it's the case that a lot of people on the Trump side went crazy on the subject of tariff protections. Mm-hmm. Okay. And... Um, I mean, it would be well to recognize, again, that nobody's perfect in all of this. One of the first things that Trump did was he reauthorized the sugar tariffs, which is yeah. a huge scandal, right? We pay it about is. 60%, 70% totally more than the world price. And it, yeah. the, the cost is borne disproportionately by low-income people. So yeah. there, there are things like that. You know, if, if you wanted to persuade the Trump voters that, uh, Joe Biden has really had a lot of wonderful policies. You'd have a tougher time of it than trying to explain how things were not exactly so great under Trump. So maybe, you know, maybe it would, I guess maybe if you started by conceding the good faith of people on the other side, they're not stupid, they're not fascists. Maybe they have a rose-eye view of what Trump was like. And maybe there are some factual issues that can be brought up. But, you know, start by assuming that they're not exactly moral cretins and they're actually your friends and your relatives and your parents and your grandparents, right? And there's no reason to cut them off completely because if you do that, what you've decided is that nothing trumps ideology. And that's really a sickness right now, right? I mean, ideologies are uh, bad per se, in terms of your moral vision, because they permit you to think that you're all right, and you aren't. I mean, nobody is. We're all, you know, kind of fallen humanity, and you don't get a pass by having the right kind of political views. You're still, you know, the line between good and evil still runs through your heart. So start with self-doubt. I, I could not agree with you more. Um, and to that end, uh, for those on the left who say Donald Trump didn't do anything good, I one of the things I really appreciate that Donald Trump did was the transparency in uh, in uh, the executive order improving transparency in healthcare. Um, I think that was an excellent uh, decision, and and the Trump administration made a priority, and they got it accomplished. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about that. I mean, early on, I told Jared Kushner, you know. The Canadian healthcare system is not as bad as people say. We could do better, right? We could do better in Obamacare. And the next day, Trump said exactly the same thing. He said, it's not so bad, but we can do better. And it didn't happen because he got he got fobbed off by libertarians in Congress like Paul Ryan. So once again, I say the man started out as a bit of a progressive. Right. And he didn't get anywhere with that because of a right wing Congress, right wing Republican Congress. So it's not the Republican Party I'd like to see. It's not the Eisenhower Republicanism that I like. We're still trying to get there and we won't get there. Whatever happens in 2024. So I, I feel like it's it's going to be difficult to make an argument that he was progressive when he launched his campaign hoping to build a wall that Mexico would pay for yeah. and calling uh, Mexican immigrants rapists and criminals. So maybe the solution here, Frank, is to leave Trump out of it yeah. and uh, 
try to get to know people as people and say, look, we're not going to agree on this. <laughs> so yeah. maybe we can talk about something else. For example, Frank, uh, I often do a, play a game where I'll say, like, I bet in three questions we can find something we agree on. Now, I mean, we've already done that. There's stuff we agree on. But, you know, it's usually something like, you know, would you agree that dogs are better than people? <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah, see, <laughs> agree on that. Would you agree that tacos generally make everybody feel better? Yeah. 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 I mean, there's plenty in life to right. talk about that's not Donald Trump. Absolutely right. Look, let me let me put it another way. There are two different kinds of parties which are bigger than the people behind them. There's a country party and a court party. The country party regards itself as being outsiders. The distinction actually goes back to English politics in the 18th century, but it was also big in 1776. There are some people who see themselves as people on the outs and some people who are the court party, who are very much people in power, right? And those differences are going to, they've been with us forever. I mean, you go back to Andrew Jackson, William Jennings Bryan. Those are big differences in our society. And we've managed to live through them those differences, and we've worked things out. And I think we have to do exactly the same in the next couple of years, whatever happens, and and pay less attention to flawed people leading the charge, more attention to the good nature of people on the other side. Here, here, and I'm gonna. That was such a good sentiment, Frank. I'm gonna let you have the last word. So I appreciate it, and I appreciate you coming back to talk with me. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's always fun. Okay, so we want to know what you think. And and we're being honest here. This isn't just something we say. It is something that we want. We want to hear your thoughts. And I know that when someone says Happy New Year and I respond by saying Happy Presidential Election Year, I realize that that is ruining it for everyone. I realize people don't appreciate the fact that we're about to head into a, a, a morass of hatred and campaign stops and 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 talking points. I, I know that doesn't make anybody happy, but maybe that's something we can all agree on. In any case, whatever you may think, we want to know what your thoughts are. It's so easy to do. Just email us. It's hearmeout at slate.com. Now, we got a lot of mail from you over the holidays, and we would love to share all of it, uh, but we can't. So for now, we'll share one. Last week, we had Zach Rosen on the show to talk about giving and getting advice in the new year, any new year. We spent a lot of time agreeing in that conversation, um, but there were moments where we did not agree. And we want to share a letter from a listener we got named Ofra. Ofra wrote this. Here's the quote from you I'll embroider on a pillow. Advice from other people is a solution to a problem you don't have. Having bought into two professional coaching courses in the past two years, I'm still trying to understand why I was attracted to these prescriptive advice platforms. There are a lot of answers, including the culty nature of such programs, but I think your explanation is key. Followers of coaches and success programs try to be like the guru when that's not who they are. We can't all be mini-me's. A one-size-fits-all formula is not helpful in discovering who we are. Thank you for your non-advice 
advice. You're welcome, Ofra. I I say let's both decide in the new year that our resolution is to not take advice from people who don't know what they're talking about. Uh, but in any case, we would love to hear your thoughts, if not your advice. The email address is hearmeoutatslate.com. Hear Me Out is a podcast from Slate. The show is produced by Maura Curry. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations. And Alicia Montgomery is VP of Slate Audio. I'm your host, not your guru, Celeste Headley. Until next time, speak your mind, but keep it open.